How you doing, church? Great. Yeah, you look good. I'm excited to share uh, this message with you as we continue our teaching series called Home for Christmas. It's been a lot of fun um, already in the last service. You guys got to see a baptism of someone who gave their life to Christ and almost cracked their head on the baptismal tank. Anybody notice that? That was awesome. Um, you, you literally will die and give your life to Christ and raise again with him. But I love seeing young people who come to know Jesus. And this message uh, hopefully gets you fired up to see even more of that happen. If you have a Bible, power it on or turn in it to Matthew chapter 2 as we uh, continue this teaching series. We, we titled it Home for Christmas. Part of it is we've been giving you this experience of like this serene, perfect Christmas with the piano playing in the lobby, with the leather chairs, watching old Christmas movies like Home Alone there. And we're using that reality to talk about like the experiences of what you think of when you think of coming home to this beautiful Christmas experience. And maybe you never had that experience. Uh, This sermon series is for you then. That that actually is what knowing God, experiencing him in your life is meant to be like. That home biblically, is where God is. Like, there's no better place to be home at than where God is in your life. And so maybe you come to this series or one of our Christmas Eve services or you're watching online, man, or you're here live and you're new to church. We started this church for you. We believe nobody's too far from God experienced life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And maybe you come home this Christmas and experience God in a way you never have. But then for this time together, you see, through this teaching series, we talked about like the first birth, you know, the first bundle of joy. Darren talked about that first week wasn't the bundle of joy they were expecting. They have to leave their home in Nazareth. They got to travel on a donkey while being pregnant and give birth in a barn with animals around. Like it wouldn't have been the experience you and I would look forward to. And yet that first Christmas, we still talk about today and has changed billions of lives. And there's good works happening around the world because of the work of Jesus today. And that this Christmas, then last week we talked about maybe some of you aren't experiencing that hope of Jesus anymore, and you want to reclaim that, recharge your spiritual batteries. And then now that your batteries hopefully are getting recharged this week, I want to talk about what it looks like then to say, to make this the best Christmas experience you've ever had being used by God more than you ever have in your life. That's my hope. That's my desire. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says these words. These are the words of Jesus, okay? So don't get mad at me. Jesus says these things. It's going to be on the screen. Hold your spot in Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to get there in a moment. It says this. Ready to study God's word, church? Yes. Okay, good. Online. They're ready. Here we go. It says this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Picture this, man. Your mom and your brothers are sitting outside and they want to speak to you. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? See how that goes over for you. He says, his mom's sitting outside. He says, who's who's my mom? And then he says this, pointing to his disciples in verse 49, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Do you have any moms out there that that passage just infuriates you just a little bit? 
Like, it's not that Jesus doesn't like his mom, okay? His mom, Mary, is going to be there when he's crucified on the cross. Like, he loves his mom. He has this great relationship, at least from what we can tell in the New Testament, with her. And yet, Jesus, we believe as Christians, was without sin. So what he's doing here actually isn't wrong. It's not that he doesn't appreciate the family that he was born into. It's that he wants to redefine the scope of what family actually is. That for those that may be here watching online, that you don't have that great family relationship that you've desired, Jesus here is inviting you into his family. That he's extending, opening up his family to anybody, no matter what background you have or where you've come from. That you could truly come home because home is where God is. In fact, in the New Testament, they, we talk about this a lot as uh, people here at Mercy Road, that w- the Greek word for household in the New Testament is oikos. I know you thought it was just yogurt in the grocery aisle, but it actually means, o- oikos means household, or literally in the Jewish community, the eight to 15 people in your sphere of influence. Now open up your program for a moment. Some of you already have this, uh, but maybe for many of you, you, you don't yet. Open up the program. There should be a little bookmark in there that says oikos on it with uh, 15 open lines on it. Here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to teach a lot about oikos. We've done that many times. What I'm going to ask you to do is over the next 25 minutes or so we've got together that you're going to look at that list and you're going to pray, who are the 8 to 15 people in my sphere of influence, if you're a Christian, that God has supernaturally placed in your life to impact them, to share your faith with them, and to help them, to invite them into your extended family. That's your oikos. So I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I'm never going to do that. Like, take it, I'm going to talk about it, and I'm come back to it. And as you think and you pray throughout the service, as God maybe lays some names you didn't even think about on your mind, you'll actually write those on that card, take it home with you, Put it in your Bible, put it on your fridge, put it at your place of work, and actually commit to praying for them this Christmas season. Here we go, Matthew chapter 2, because uh, by the end of Matthew chapter 2, Jesus is actually going to refer to the Greek word oikos, uh, household. Here's what it says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. This is going to be our passage that we're going to work through. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, I know you heard this story before, but hear it for the first time. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, interesting note here, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writers who talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In particular, we know that Matthew writes from a Jewish context. He was a Jewish person, is writing to a Jewish community. He's the only one in chapter 2 of Matthew that writes about the Magi. So you've heard about the wise men or the magi. It's only in Matthew chapter 2 that we learn about this. And he says this about them. Verse 2. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Micah chapter 5, hundreds of years earlier, prophesied that the Messiah, Jesus, would be born in Bethlehem. 
And I find it really interesting how God works because it's only because of a census by the Roman emperor, we know from Luke, uh, that they're actually going to be in Bethlehem. Their family was from the province of Galilee, the, the town of Nazareth. Verse seven, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship. If you knew the story in the New Testament here, like Herod really isn't on their side. He doesn't want to come and worship the Messiah. See, he's basically like a, a king in a little, little K king, like in quotations, because the Roman Empire is really in charge, but they allow him to have some power. So to the Jewish community, if there actually was a Messiah that was supposed to become king, Herod didn't want him around. And so he's sending the Magi to them so that he can come and kill them. That's how the first Christmas actually begins. We're going to talk about that passage and the people that are referred to as the Magi. Will you pray with me? God, we just pause in the busyness of this Christmas time and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us. God, we pray uh, wherever we're at spiritually that you might speak to us through these verses in a way we've never experienced. You might extend our oikos, our family, this Christmas to include maybe some people we hadn't even thought of or prayed about before. Lord, use this time together. We surrender it to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's family said, amen. Amen. Anybody out there pretty busy uh, this Christmas season? Like you got a lot going on. How many of you been to a Christmas party sometime in the last three weeks? Anybody out there work or at home? Yeah, okay. Yeah, some of you. Uh, But my son just tonight, we've been having Christmas stuff going on. And then my son, they decided to put a basketball tournament tonight. My wife went there. They lost by one point, I just found out. With .8 seconds left, a third grader hit a shot in a basketball game. And my wife made it here to the 5 o'clock service. It's a busy season for our family. I don't know how busy it is for you, but I imagine it's busy. So what I'm going to talk about today might seem like you don't have time to do it, but I would argue this might be the most important thing you do over the next two weeks. I really believe that. I think if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, what we're about to describe is one of the more important things that we could actually do. How many of you out there, when it comes to relationships with people, that you are an includer? You like to include lots of people. You love making new friends. You look, come on now, raise it high. I know some of you are actually social. Okay, thank you. Maybe like 20%. How many of you are excluders? Let's be honest. Come on now. Some of you, I know, yeah, raise it high. You don't want to hang out with people. You don't want to go to those Christmas parties. Come on, thank you. Some honest people here. One of the things, I could be both. Sometimes I'm an excluder. Uh, when I am an includer, I love to throw really awkward parties. Anybody throw awkward parties where you invite people from different spheres of your relationships you have, and you know everyone, but no one else knows everyone? You ever been to a party like that? Uh, my wife, when I did that for the first time, she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Jesus is an includer. We should include people. The reality is I learned from my wife actually what this looks like in a healthy way. My wife is a type of person that when she meets somebody for the very first time, they're instantly like best friends. I don't know how it happens. Like anybody out there, you're like that. If you need to raise the hand of the person sitting next to you. Yeah. When, when my wife gets on an airplane, she, this is true. She will make friends that she will still be texting years later. Who does that? 
Like when I get on the airplane, if I could physically create a wall, I would do it, baby. Put those headphones in. Don't you dare talk to me. If you bring your coffee breath on me, I'm gonna get real upset. I'm gonna go move. You know, I wanna move to the exit row? Yes, I do, please, right? Like, I don't know if you're an includer or an excluder. What I do know is that part of following Jesus and what I've recognized in my wife's life is that it is a gift of evangelism. And I don't mean that in some political way. I mean, evangelion means good news, that you're gifted in a way that you love to bring the good news of Jesus to people. And it's actually experienced as good news. That might be the most important part. And as I was thinking about this Christmas season and talking about what it means to come home this Christmas, and I want to tell you at the Christmas Eve services, we're doing something we've never done before this year. And I'm really pumped. I don't want to give it away, but I think it's going to be a powerful experience. We're going to teach out of a passage I don't usually teach out of on Christmas. I believe it's going to be perfect for your friend, maybe that's new to church, to invite them and bring them with you. But experiencing the good news of Jesus is not just about inviting somebody to a Christmas service. It's inviting them into your extended family. And my wife just would do it naturally. When we first started meeting in our our home, if you're new to Mercy Road, we met in our home first, and then we met in this uh, school up here on 126th Street, and then we met in this little lease building off of College Avenue, and then we moved to this space two years ago. And early on, we would have a lot of unchurched people coming in and out of our home, getting to know people, or people who weren't Christian actually helped us start a church, largely because my wife was just really good at including people in, and you were best friends from day one. And I believe that's how Jesus lived his life. And so when his mom and his brothers are sitting there, he's like, I love you guys, but right now, the most important thing is for me to invest in these people so they could go invest in other people that he understood the social relational way that human beings work. So if you're here today and you want to say, man, this Christmas season, I want to open the gifts. I'll have some great family memories. Uh, We're going to have a Christmas tree. We might go see some Christmas lights. We may have crazy Uncle Eddie do some crazy things. I don't know. But what I'm also going to do, I'm going to do everything I have to make this the best spiritual Christmas to live for eternity that I've ever had or ever experienced. And so through Matthew chapter 2, I want to give you three ways to expand your family, family, this Christmas. The way that I believe Jesus demonstrates for us in the New Testament. And I find it interesting, the very people we're going to look at, the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, weren't Jewish and weren't Christian. But their life will be forever changed that first Christmas. Here we go. Three ways to expand your family this Christmas. Number one, It might be the hardest part of this whole thing. Risk it like the Magi this Christmas. Risk it like the Magi. What does that look like in your life? Look at verses one and two with me, because how did the Magi risk some things? It said, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So they're living in the east, maybe where Babylon used to be. It's New Testament times now. The, The Babylonians no longer rule. It's thought traditionally that this is attributed to three individuals with different ethnicities and diversity. It actually doesn't say that in the passage. Most likely, it could have been more than three people, actually, but they were magi uh, that would come from the East. Now, what is a magi? Ever ask yourself that question? Uh, Yes, it means a, a smart or wise person, but there's actually more to it than that. 
Traditionally, these three ethnic diverse dudes are actually uh, Semites, meaning they were descendants of Shem, same as the Israelites, but weren't Jewish people of the Jewish faith. And they were astronomers who had been studying the sky. Most likely, Magi was associated with a monotheistic faith, meaning they believed in one God, but they had occult-like practices, like kind of weird pagan stuff. These weren't Jewish uh, people. These weren't uh, what we would consider today to be Christians. In fact, Philo, a a Jewish writer, wrote that uh, he called them vipers or scorpions, depending on your translation. These people weren't thought of as the great godly people. Maybe you thought they were. However, it's also where we get the word magic from. The word magic comes from this, that these were intelligent people who studied astronomy and astrology and combined those things together. But it was actually their study of astronomy, the study of science, believe it or not, that led them there that day. That nature cried out, we're going to talk a lot about this at the Christmas Eve service, nature cried out to even these men who came from the east, who will choose to worship God and risk everything in their life to do it. You see, it went on in verse 2 and said, and ask, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. They literally will leave everything because their study of science causes them to leave everything to go and discover God. Why is it in the Christian faith that sometime within the last, I don't know, 100, 200, 300 years, we somehow got it in our head that to become Christian means to put your brain on the side? In fact, uh, nothing could be further from the truth historically about Christianity or Christians. There were lots of people throughout uh, scientific discovery and history who may or may not have been Christian, but actually believed in God, and it was their belief in God that caused them to pursue greater things in science. I mean, one you might have heard of is Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein actually said this quote. Now, I'm not saying he's a devout follower of Jesus, but he said, a legitimate conflict between science and religion cannot exist. Science without religion is lame, meaning it doesn't have legs, it can't walk. Religion without science is blind. Einstein wrote that. Uh, Copernicus, here's some people who actually believed in God. Copernicus believed in God. Galileo believed in God. Johannes Kepler believed in God. Now, someone who was actually a devout Christian even was Sir James Simpson. How many have heard of Sir James Simpson before? Anybody out there? He was the founder of anesthesiology. How many people are glad for Sir James Simpson, man, that you don't have to have surgery without anesthesiology? Uh, He said that his most important discovery he ever made is when he discovered Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? And it was actually his, his intellect that actually led him to discover a relationship with Jesus. Even today, Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project and the head of the National Institute of Science, is a follower of Jesus. So we'll share that with you to tell you that the Magi, I know some of you are like, in my oikos, you don't understand. They're always going to reject them because they have these certain beliefs and they're always going to believe that way. These Magi were just studying the stars and God cries out to them and they go in search of finding where that star is going to end up because they genuinely believe that the, the Messiah will be there. Isn't that incredible? What would it look like 
for you to imagine uh, uh, someone in your sphere of influence this Christmas season that might have their life forever changed. What else I love about the Magi, though, is these intelligent men who tended to have high-ranking positions, were like advisors in whatever kingdom they would be in. Uh, They actually leave everything to go and worship Jesus, despite not even being Jewish. It's incredible when you think about it. The Magi risked their reputation, right? Because they weren't Jewish. They risked their reputation. They risked their finances. They're going to bring these expensive gifts. They're going to leave their family behind and everything they had trusted there just to try and see if this thing is real or not. And they're going to have their life forever changed at that first Christmas. The early followers of Jesus actually wanted to share the story of the Magi so much and how they risked their reputation. They they developed this uh, thing maybe you've heard of before called Epiphany. This is later in church history. But Epiphany was that until January 5th or 6th, 12 days after Christmas, that they continued to celebrate Christmas. They referred to it as the 12 days of Christmas. That's where that song comes from and what that's all about, talking about the Magi who came uh, well after the birth of Jesus and discovered him there in the manger. See, if you want to expand your family this Christmas season, maybe you and I could learn from somebody like the Magi that they're willing to risk everything, leave it all behind them to go and just worship Jesus that, that first Christmas, what, w- what would it take for you to do that and for me to do that? In a moment here, I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and they're going to pass uh, down the row the baskets that have one of these in it. And it says expand a vision on it. It's this end of year thing that we're doing. And you've heard a little bit about it, but what I wanted to share now is what would it take? This represents some lives that for, forever, eternally could be changed simply by a prayer, risking, like the Magi, your finances, yes, but even more importantly, your time, talents, and treasures to say, God, we want to make an impact. So as they come down the aisle with these, I'm going to invite you, uh, anybody who wants to, you don't have to take one of these, but take one of these, and here's what I want you to do. If you're going to commit for the next two weeks until the end of the year, that we'll actually see what seems impossible at this time, this actually happen. Uh, You're going to pray. In fact, I'm going to ask you in a moment that you'll do even more than pray. And you're going to pray for those people who are going to have their lives changed by it. And I'll I'll explain that in just a moment. But the second thing I want to talk about is this. You see, the first Magi, they were willing to risk it that Christmas. Maybe you need to do it to reach one more person for Christ. But number two, that you're going to realize the time is now. Realize the time is now. Look at verse seven with me. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So picture this, man. You're, you're at the east. You don't know anybody over there. You don't know King Herod. You don't know the Mary and Joseph. You don't know anything. You just see the star and you believe God is telling you to go there. They leave everything behind them, not like three months from them, right then. Isn't that incredible? That if they would have, what I would have done has been like, okay, God, this is really cool. I can't wait to participate. Give me like six months to kind of save up for the trip, begin to, you know, you know, tie up all the loose ends in my life, and then I'll make this trek for months out to the west to find the star. The star came at a particular time. They had to drop everything and just go. And I find for most of us as Christians, we talk about God using our life. And then when it comes time, a moment where we could actually see it happen it tends to pass us by. 
You see that Oikos card. I know, man, because I'm one of, I'm just like this. If a pastor was on a stage telling me to write down 15 names, I'd be like, oh, sorry about you, not going to happen because I don't do what people tell me to do. What if, what if we actually said, I know, really, God can use me this Christmas. And we took that and we wrote those names down and then we prayed for them. And we prayed for the lives that will be changed in South Africa because they actually have a facility to come and meet in as a church. And we prayed for the inmates who right now are being ministered to in Brazil, Indiana, by a husband and wife who have sacrificed everything to rehabilitate inmates who have come out of prison and tell them about Jesus Christ. What if we prayed for them for the next two weeks? What if we prayed for the, the people who will be impacted in our kids' ministry? When was the last time we prayed for the kids in our community to have their lives changed that will be impacted by this? You see, when we talk about the things like uh, expand the vision campaign and all that stuff, what I get excited about are the lives that will forever be changed. And what if you took that Oikos card and you prayed and you fasted and you said, God, I want to see these lives change. And you invite them to one of our six. That's right. So you got six options. You can be told no six times. Like if they say no to one, just ask them to another one. If they say no six times, then I'm going to be amazed, man, because statistics say, if you believe in stats, they tell us that over 80% of people will actually show up to a worship service if you invite them. And then what if you didn't just invite them to a church service? What if you actually invited them into your extended family, your oikos? And you're praying for them, not because you're better than them and you've got all the answers to life, but because you love them and you want to tell them what you've experienced. I mean, think about what we really believe, guys. See, my atheist and agnostic friends, I got one of them in mind right now. He's up in Chicago. We're really good friends. And he tells me all the time, he says, Josh, if you really believe the things that you say, if you really believe that this world is not as it should be, and that Jesus gave his life on a cross, that he rose on the third day overcoming death, and you believe that I could go through life with God in my life, that you believe that I could spend eternity in paradise in heaven with God forever, and that one day Jesus is going to return and put the world right as it should be. There will be no more pain or suffering. There will be no more tears, Revelation 21 says. We're going to have perfect relationship with God and other human beings. If you really believe that, then I expect you to try and convince me of that, right? Like if we really believe those things, we don't do it because we think, oh, I'm better than you or I, you know, I've got all the right answers and you're wrong word to even debate a person. I do it because I really believe it and I love you and I want you to experience that. I'll risk anything and I won't put it off because I'll realize our time is short and now is the time to actually do something. Psalm 39, 4 and 5 says, show me, Lord, my life's end and my number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. We don't know how many years, how many days, how many minutes we got. I shared last weekend, um, my, my, my sister-in-law, who gave birth to her second nephew. She's doing great. She's super healthy now. But literally, the day she gave birth, she had complications that never happen in today's modern medicine era. And she literally almost died that night. We, we were waiting by the phone throughout the night, not knowing if she was going to pass or not. And praise God, her and the baby are totally healthy, no long-term repercussions. But man, we don't know. That's, that's lit a, a fire under me this Christmas season that we don't know how much time we have. It's like a, a handbreadth that says, 
Every, everyone's life is but a breath. Craig Rochelle, a pastor at Life Church, he did a sermon series called 30 Days to Live, and he said these three things. If you had 30 days to live, if that passage is true in Psalm 39, he said these three things should become a tr- priority. Number one, turn when into now. Realize the time is now, not next Christmas, not next Easter, now. Turn intentions into actions and turn my whole heart towards Jesus. That I'd take that Oikos card, man, and I'd write the names down and I'd just be praying and praying and praying. And one of them receives Jesus, I'd mark the name off the list and I'd add some more people onto the list. And I would just keep praying and praying. And I'm telling you guys, from personal experience, I've seen people that you think would never receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, when they actually experience the call of God like the Magi did, they're willing to risk everything and will be transformed by it. I get to worship every week with the guy who for two years, two years, I met with him one-on-one when he wasn't a Christian and he just asked questions. And I literally had people that I love in our church tell me I was wasting my time. And today, not only did he become a Christian and get baptized, he now leads ministry. Like, that's what Jesus does. That's the power of Jesus. It didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. It happens today. The time is now God could use you. Just a couple of weeks ago at our Saturday night service, we baptized a guy in here who gave his life to Christ on Easter and months later had grown in his faith, been at our services almost every single week, and now wanted to fully be baptized and follow Jesus with his life. Who, who, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to see more of that this Christmas, and we're going to be baptizing some people in February or April or May who gave their life to Christ this Christmas. It's going to happen. It happens every year because the Holy Spirit moves and works. The question is whether or not you'll get to be a part of that, to get to be a part of somebody's story of discovering a relationship with Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you may not be ready for all of that yet, but if you're a Christian, man, as part of following Jesus in your life, to experience that, it's the best thing. If you would lead one person, one person to faith in Jesus, and they spend eternity in heaven, we believe as Christians, it will be worth everything you ever did. Everything. And I don't know about you, man, but I kind of look at it as like, I got to do all this other stuff that I got to accomplish with my life and do these important things. And then when I have time, I'll do that other stuff. But the only thing you and I are going to care about in a hundred years is if one person comes to know Jesus. How could God use you this Christmas season? Here's the third and final thing. If you want to expand your family this Christmas, you might have to risk something in your life to realize that the time is now. But number three, you got to let Jesus Christ fully ruin and wreck your life. This is new for some of you. You've experienced this. I've shared stuff like this before even. You see the last verses there in Matthew chapter 2 verses 9 to 12, it said, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, the Magi did, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So first of all, they left everything they knew. They took whatever treasure they had, and they gave it over to this baby. Put that into perspective. In a barn, in some town I'd never been in, going, what in the world? Why are we doing this? But they're so moved by God to worship him. They did that. Then look at verse 12, though. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
The Magi will have to take the long way home, maybe. They can't go back through Jerusalem because they're afraid that Herod will come to them and either kill the child or kill them. They sacrificed everything to get there when they finally get there and they worship God in the way they Their life didn't get easier, it got harder. They got harder. You see, sometimes we tell people, give your life to Jesus and your life is gonna be wed better. Come join the great journey of following Jesus. And I believe that that's true, absolutely. But we fail to tell people that it also might make your life harder sometimes. Right, like, well, let me give you some examples. When I was 19 years old and I first became a Christian, I was living in a fraternity house. Well, I was, I was participating in a fraternity house. Have you ever participated in a fraternity house? I will tell you, uh, fraternity parties look a little different when you discover a relationship with Jesus. It got a little more awkward for me, and I had to begin to walk through this messy process of how do I live as a follower of Jesus in this environment. That's what it looks like. You see, for, for others of us, man, uh, when you follow Jesus, when you say, yeah, I want to begin to passionately pursue what he wants in my life, uh, it might mean that your dating life begins to look differently. It was real easy before. You could just, yeah, whatever, whatever's fun, let's do it. Now you're following Jesus and you begin to get convicted about some stuff. It, it, it changes the way that you perceive things. It doesn't make it easier. Sometimes it actually makes it more difficult. When you live in integrity in a, the business environment where it's easier to make money when you don't live with integrity, it didn't get easier to follow Jesus. It actually made your life a little harder, but it's worth it. The Magi are willing to risk everything, to realize the time is now to allow God to essentially wreck their life. They put their whole reputation on the line. They have to go the long way home. They're afraid for their lives. We, we fail to really perceive and put together how big of a moment this is. It costs the Magi everything. Their wealth, they must flee in fear to run home to a land where no one will understand or even believe them. And sometimes that's what it looks like when we truly follow Jesus. And I gave you some large examples, but there's even some small examples. See, it gets harder to follow Jesus sometimes and to share your faith with people when you just are naturally a grumpy person, isn't it? Like you have to change the way you treat your neighbors. Who wants to do that? It's easier to be mean to them. Uh, for some of us, it means that like small things, right? Like even on Sundays or on Saturday nights when uh, God's team is playing during that time, the Indianapolis Colts, like you have to put some things aside to say, I'm gonna prioritize worship, worshiping Jesus this Christmas. Like it gets harder, not easier. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 has been my personal life verse. It's really transformed the way I think about my life. Therefore, Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Maybe you grew up around church. Maybe you know the Christmas story. Maybe you, you've talked about like going to church on a regular basis, but you have never truly been transformed by Jesus to allow him to ruin and wreck your life. And so much so that even those of us who have been in church for a long time, and you've considered yourself a Christian for decades or 50 years or more, but get to the point where everything in your life, like the magic, you're gonna leave it all behind to worship him and tell people about him. What would that look like to see one more person enter heaven eternally 
because of your error. See, part of knowing Jesus, when it says in that passage, a new creation, it's the word metanoia in the Greek, and it means a conversion or complete change. And sometimes we use the phrase as if, like, as a Christian, you once weren't a Christian, and you were this little caterpillar that went, like, into the God cocoon, and then when you came out of the cocoon, now you were this beautiful butterfly. But that really doesn't do justice to what the word metanoia is. It's like you were this little caterpillar, and you went into the God cocoon, and when you came out, you were a roaring lion. Like, you have completely changed. The old is gone. The new has come. People look at you and go, what in the world happened? And they'll go to you, why do you care about kids in South Africa? Why do you care? Why do you care about inmates who got themselves into prison? Why do you care about rehabilitating them? They'll look at you and say, why do you care about the kids in your neighborhood when there's so much uh, uh, stuff going on? Why don't you just care about your own family, make as much money as you can, and do what society says is achieving things in this life? And you say, because I've experienced a metanoia, a complete change, and I want to share that with other people. I can't hold it in. I'll leave my everything behind. You call me to go to a, another, I almost said planet, but let's say country. Uh, you're going to go to another country. You're going to call you to go to another place and share your faith. You're going to change the way that you do your work environment. You're going to change the way you do your home environment. You're going to change the way you treat your neighbors. And you're not going to do it out of guilt because you've got this rule list that you've got to follow in order to please God. You're going to do it because you've truly been converted and changed. That's at the heart of the gospel, and it's at the heart of really what occurs here for the Magi. If it happened to a group of astronomers who traveled to see an anomaly in the sky, it can happen to each of us, and it can happen to those in our oikos, in our sphere of influence. How will God use you this Christmas season? I'll close with this question. Will you allow Jesus Christ to wreck your life this Christmas and fully worship him, risking everything you can to do it?